So obviously I am a mother four times over. Can you believe that? Four times over. And so I had to um, share a couple of uh, moments that have happened with us. All of my kids are very, very different. um, And they all, in their own unique way, like to try to figure out how, in some ways, to drive me crazy. Anybody? Feel me. So we'll start with the baby, because he's a baby. Zeke is about to turn one uh, in just a few weeks, and this child will not, will not, y'all, will not keep shoes on. Every time, every time that I put shoes on his feet, it doesn't matter what kind of shoes, it doesn't matter um, if it's while he's strapped into his car seat or he's sitting in my lap, he figures out a way to yank them off and I put them back on and he yanks them off and I put them back on and he yanks them back off. And so every picture that you will ever see of Ezekiel, he is barefoot. And it doesn't matter if it's December and it's 12 degrees outside, the child is barefoot because I can't do anything. So we are really barefoot in Kentucky up in here. Barefoot in Kentucky. Zeke will not keep his shoes on, despite the fact that I know that the child needs to have shoes, and it causes conflict. He also still thinks that it's really a good idea to wake up at 5 a.m. It doesn't matter that I don't think it's a good idea. He thinks it's a good idea. So we've got some conflict happening. And then I have to show you some pictures to explain some of the other conflicts, Uh, the constant conflict that happens at our house. Check this one out. This is my next uh, youngest child. This is Solomon. (laughs) And Solomon likes to think that he can go anywhere and do anything he wants at any point in time. I don't know if you have a two-year-old at your house. Christine, can I get an amen? Those two-year-olds, they seem to think that nothing is off limits. This is my dryer. And he has figured out a way to swipe uh, his sister's iPad, and he is hiding out for dear life in the dryer. Um, Constant conflict at our house. Who's going to get the iPad? And somebody's usually arguing and fussing over that. So he decided he would sneak away. And um, no door can keep him out of any room, nor do, no, he hasn't met a lock or a doorknob that he cannot tackle. So uh, go ahead to the next one. He also thinks that Vicks Vapor Rub is a really good solution for hair gel. <sighs> I can smell it through the photo. This child creates constant conflict. He thinks that that is how he should fix his hair. I disagree. Take a look at this picture. He also thinks it's okay to have yogurt in his hair. I don't know why. I think he should eat his yogurt one way. He thinks he should eat it another way on his head. Right? Take a look at this one. He also thinks it's entirely appropriate to wear high-heeled shoes, uh, a headband, and... uh, Muscle shirts. I mean, I don't know. There's no real explaining him. I disagree. Take a look at this next one. We are in constant conflict about balls being thrown in my house and everything that could be possibly used to whack or enact violence on someone. And so these kinds of things happen pretty regularly. There's just constant conflict. Take a look at the next one. So this is all four of them at the same time, but I want you to pay particular attention to 
my second child, Nora. So we've talked about the baby. We've talked about Solomon. Nora, right here, go to the next picture. Nora is down in the bottom. Go to the next picture. Nora's over here. Go to the next picture. Nora's over here. Go to the next picture. Can you see a trend? I think Nora should look at the camera. Nora does not think she should look at the camera. We are in constant conflict about what mom thinks is the right way and what Nora thinks is the right way. Take a look at the next one. She refuses. Take a look at the next one. I have gobs and gobs of pictures of Nora not looking at the camera. She refuses. We are constantly saying, Nora, Nora, hey, Nora, 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 and she will not do it. Go to the next one. And this is my darling sweet Sadie who you just saw. She is precious. She is wonderful. But I'm in constant conflict with what my child wears. This is a school picture day. I think my child is precious. I think she is gorgeous. I think she is brilliant and strong and smart. But I would never, under any circumstances, choose this outfit or shoes or any combination of what is happening in this picture. And I have about 100 of these pictures. <laughs> we are in constant conflict about what I think is best for her and what she thinks is best for her. Can anybody relate today, right? There is a constant tension, a constant conflict between what I want my kids to do and what they think they should be able to do. And it is ongoing all the time. And I just want to say all the time to each one of them, if you would just do it my way, things would be so much smoother, right? Why can't you just do it my way? Just do it my way. Please just do it my way. It makes me crazy. It makes me crazy. I want to have all the control, right? I want to be able to decide what they eat and what they wear and who their friends are and where they go and what activities they're a part of. I want control. And it is a constant conflict. I stay frustrated. And I can't help but at times feel massively convicted that that's exactly how God feels about me. That there has to be this piece of him that is going, if you would just do it my way, things would be so much smoother. Why can't you just listen to me? I promise, I promise I know what is best for you. I promise. Why can't you just do it my way? And the reason that my kids can't listen or won't listen or don't always listen is because they have a sinful nature. And I don't mean that ugly. My kids are awesome, but they have a sinful nature. The reason I don't listen to God, the reason that I don't always do things, things his way, is I have a sinful nature. It's in constant conflict. I know what's best for them. I want them to listen to me. But I do the same thing, right? 
I am the exact same way. My sin, the sin in my life is what separates me from God. And, it, and it's the little things too. It's selfishness. It's greed. It's me wanting more and more and never feeling satisfied and never feeling like I have enough shoes or enough clothes or enough money or enough, enough, enough. It's jealousy. We've been talking a lot around here um, in our women's Bible study, and it just seems to be kind of a constant theme, this whole comparison trap, right, that we're looking around and comparing. I'm comparing my kids to your kids. I'm comparing my house to your house. I'm comparing my car to your car. I'm comparing my degrees to your degrees, right? This constant, I'm either jealous or I'm prideful, and it's sin, and it separates me from God. There's a constant conflict and I only have two choices, his way or my way. That's it, his way or my way. I've shared pieces of this story over the last year, but um, I really, really wanted to give you some of the details today. I struggled immensely with our fourth pregnancy. Um, when I found out that I was pregnant with Zeke, talk about giving up control, that was the name of the game. No control over my emotions, no control over my body, no control over, it felt like everything was out of, out of my control. And I uh, started feeling really, really, really angry about it, to be quite honest. Um, really trying to wrap my head around what was getting ready to happen. And um, I, I knew that I was getting to a place mentally that I shouldn't be. And so I, I went to Jason and asked him if I could see a counselor. I said, babe, I, I really think I need to talk to somebody. I think it's, it's bigger than, than where I'm at right now. And uh, he heard me out and he set up an appointment with a guy named Philip, a counselor named Philip. He didn't know either one of us. And so I felt like I could share openly and, and freely um, with him. And so we met with Philip a few months before Zeke was getting ready to be born. And um, I had to talk to a total stranger about my fears and frustrations about being pregnant. And I had to say out loud the guilt that I felt for feeling that way. I had to tell a complete stranger about slamming doors and hiding in laundry rooms about crying in showers and losing pieces of myself. I told him about the guilt and shame that I felt for not having it together. And the entire time I knew, I knew that he had to be judging me. I just knew that he was probably thinking the worst and I held my breath fearful of what his reaction would be. I knew that he was gonna call me a terrible mom. But what he said ended up quieting a place deep inside of me that had been raging for way too long. And his words shifted me that day. They took me from where I was and the track that I was on and the mindset that I had and picked me up and set me in a totally different direction. This is what he said. He said, Andrea, Jesus is a shepherd. He is not a cattle driver. He is not whipping you into submission. 
He's not yelling and screaming at you to do it his way. He's a shepherd. And you're his sheep. And the Bible says that the sheep know his voice. And Jesus is saying to you, Andrea, will you be the mom to one of my kids? And something inside of me broke that day. Instantly. You know, most of the time, change happens gradually, almost so subtle that sometimes we don't even notice it, but not that day. That day, in that very moment, I was completely, radically changed. It felt like my world tilted on its axis. It felt like my whole view of God was different. I went from being angry and frustrated and throwing a massive pity party to being so grateful. There was a piece of me that was screaming out, yes, yes, Jesus, I will. I want to. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the chance to be a mom to one of your kids. Now, nothing about the situation changed. Nothing about the circumstances changed. I was still pregnant. I still had three other crazy kids. I still was getting ready to have a fourth child. But everything about my perception and my mindset changed. I had no control to make the situation different. But my mindset was different. And here's what I believe. I believe that every child, every miscarriage, every story of infertility, every special needs child, every circumstance regarding children has helped me to have a stronger theology about how sovereign God is. For some of you, your story is that you don't have children yet. That's okay, because God is sovereign. And here's what that means. The word sovereign just means that God sees the big picture, and he's orchestrating and working it all together for our good. That's what the Bible tells us. If you're a divorced parent, and parenting doesn't look the way that you thought that it would, it's okay, because God is sovereign. And it's a part of what he's doing in this season of your life. And I want to say to each and every one of you who are in the throes of parenting right now, you have that child, you have your kids, because God has given them to you. Every struggle that they have, every learning disability, every social issue, every uh, time that they're disobedient to you, whatever the, the situation is, God gave those kids to you. He gave them to you to parent and to train and to love and to nurture. And I think that that is full of purpose and promise. Amen. Here's the scary part, though. It takes a lot to be a parent, a lot of commitment, a lot of devotion. And so what we want to do, our tendency is to want to hold on really, really tight. Right? They're my kids. They're my kids. <laughs> no, these are they're my kids. They're mine, right? But they're not. They're his. So hard. Everything inside of us wants to do everything we can to keep them safe, 
to get them in the right direction, to protect them, right? But that's not the promise that God gave us. He didn't say, I'm going to give you these kids and everything will be perfect and awesome and wonderful and fine. Not at all, right? But he gives us wisdom and knowledge to know how to train them, how to raise them when we ask him. All throughout the Bible, we see examples where parents have to say yes in obedience in regards to their children. Let me give you a couple of them. So Moses, when he was born, they were killing babies in Egypt. They didn't want the population of the Hebrews to, to get any bigger. And so they put out a mandate to kill the babies. And Moses' mother did the most amazing amazing thing I think a mom could do, and it sounds so counterintuitive, so crazy. She put him in a basket and put him in a river. It seems, if we saw that on the news, we saw some mom had put her baby in the Ohio River, we would want her locked up. So I want you to just kind of process, process that for just a second. That her act of obedience, doing everything that she could to preserve his life, may have looked to others like she was taking his life. That she wasn't doing the best thing for him. But she sent him down that river and she had to have enough faith and enough trust in God that the waves and the alligators would not come in between the purpose and the call that God had on his life. That's powerful. That's so, that's so profound to me. There's another mom named Hannah in the Bible who desperately wanted a baby. She prayed and asked God. She was heartbroken that she had not had a child yet. And she said, God, if you will help me to conceive, God, I will give this baby back to you. And she did. His name was Samuel. And after she had Samuel and the time was appropriate for their ceremonies and things like that, she gave him to the temple to serve the priests, and he grew up in the temple in God's house. Isn't that amazing? I don't know how we would process somebody bringing the baby to Hope City Church and saying, here, I'm giving him back to God. Can you raise him? Thank you. But that was the plan that God had for Samuel's life, and he goes on to be one of the most celebrated prophets. He was respected by King Saul and King David. He was an advisor to both of them. God used him in huge ways. But if Hannah had said, no, God gave him to me. He's mine. He can't have him back. How much would that have changed the trajectory of his life, of his purpose, of what God was calling Samuel to? Here's the toughest one, and this is where we're going to spend a chunk of our time today. Abraham. He wasn't a mom, but he was a father. He was a parent. And in Genesis 22, Abraham was tested. God wanted to know if he had what it would take. See, God had this huge plan that Abraham was going to be the father of many, many nations. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, Abraham is the guy that we're constantly referencing back to. If you were a kid who grew up in church, you might have heard the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Anybody know that one? Many sons had Father Abraham. Y'all do know it. I love it. That's talking about the fact that God had this covenant, a promise, uh, this, this deal worked out with Abraham, that Abraham was going to be the patriarch to all of the Israelites. You know, the nation of Israel today, like the real nation of Israel on the other side of the world, that's their, 
That's their dad. Like, he is the guy. And so God wanted to know, does he have the stuff that it's going to take to fulfill this promise? So Abraham had to be tested. So as a side note, for some of you, if you're feeling tested right now, I got to tell you, it's because God has something big waiting for you that he needs you to know that you've got the stuff. You've got what it takes. He's just sifting you. He's just putting you through that process so that he knows that you can be obedient when he asks you to do whatever it is that he's going to ask you to do. But check this story out. This, this is crazy to me. Here we go. Genesis 22. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, Abraham he said, here I am. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there. Whoa. Y'all see that? Sacrifice him. God is asking Abraham to give up his son. Not just give him up, to kill him. That's crazy, right? Let's see what happens. Take your son and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. I love this because I don't know if I could come to terms with that request and be ready to go the next morning. God asks this huge thing of Abraham, and it says early the next morning, which implies to me that right away Abraham was like, okay, God said it, let's go. I'm doing it. Let's go. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go up over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Okay, anybody think Isaac is like, Dad, what's going on? <laughs> this is happening. Like Abraham is not just going through the motions. Like he is doing it. Okay. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, oh, uh, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? He's starting to get the picture. Maybe. Right? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of it. Okay? This, again, like the idea that he is getting ready to follow God's desire to that degree is really tough for us. Right? But let's see what happens. He reached out his hand took the knife to slay his son, but an angel of the Lord called out and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram. God provided. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. Amen. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven and a second time. He said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. 
Here it is. That because you have done this and have not withheld your son, I will bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Okay, so here it is for us. Ready? There will come a time when you will have to do something in obedience to God. We're talking specifically today about kids, but it can be anything in your life that God may ask you to sacrifice, give up, let go of, lay down, whatever metaphor or language you want to use to explain that. But on the other side of that is blessing. God isn't just saying these things because it's a game or he's trying to drive you crazy. He needs to know that you've got the stuff that you've got what it takes, that you really are all in. And on the other side of that is so much blessing. I think there's two reasons that God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. The first is our kids are what we hold so dear, right? It's the area a lot of times, especially for moms in our lives, where we say, no, but that one's mine. That one's mine. And we make excuses even for our kids. Oh, it's just a phase. No, it's fine. Their boys will be boys. Or teenagers rebel, right? And we become permissive and make excuses that can let our kids not do it God's way. But if we're willing to act in obedience, our kids see that. We model it for them. And on the other side of it is blessing. And everything about this story Here's the sweet part. Paves the way for what God did. He sacrificed his own son. So when we're reading this story and there's that unsettling feeling, there's that tension that goes, ooh, I don't know about that. God asked him to do what? That's crazy. It all parallels what God did for us. He said, I'm going to take the thing that's most valuable to me and I'm going to make a way because it has to be done. He desired you that much. And that is crazy and tough and challenging to wrap your head around, but that's what this faith is in Christianity. So what do we do? How do we do this? When it comes down to our kids, when it comes down to actually walking out obedience, you ready for the secret weapon? Prayer. The only way to navigate Doing what God asks you to do is to be talking to him and listening to him. Did you notice that God says, Abraham, Abraham, and he's like, yes, here I am. That shows me they had a relationship. They were in constant communication. God tells Abraham what he wants him to do, and if Abraham had stopped listening to God, he may have ended up killing his son. But because he was willing to constantly, daily, minute by minute, continually be hearing from God and and being obedient and following the leading of God, when God said, stop, I have another way. Don't lay a hand on him. Abraham knew what he was supposed to do. Does that make sense? has to be an ongoing, constant, daily, minute by minute. God, what are you requiring of me? What are you asking of me? How am I going to navigate this? And prayer is the only way that we can accomplish that. Listen, I will never be a perfect parent, but I can be a praying parent. I will never, ever be a perfect parent, but I can be a praying parent. 
I can be like Mary in Luke 2 when she prayed for Jesus that he would increase in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. I can pray like Lamentations 2.19 that tells us to pray and pour our heart out like water at the face of the Lord. Lift your hands toward him for the life of your children. Some of us need to pour our hearts out like water over our children. I can pray dangerous prayers like this. Lord, do whatever it takes for my kids to love you more than anything else and help me to be okay with whatever that looks like. That's a dangerous prayer. That's a dangerous, dangerous prayer. I can ask God, I can pray that he would show me how to get out of the way and learn how to follow his leading instead of being held back by my ideas of perfection and what my kids should do and say and look like. God, help me get out of the way. I want my kids to be your kids all the time. I can pray that God would give me wisdom and insight to the facets and details of my child's interests and personality so that I know how to talk to their heart. God can do stuff like that. He can give you a a total creative way to, to parent and teach and love your kid. It's powerful. And I know that we've focused primarily on parenting and kids today, but the principles are true. Whatever God is asking you to do in obedience, I am pleading with you to do it and do it now. That there is so much peace and so much blessing on the other side. I could give you story after story in this church of people who would tell you crazy things that God asked them to sacrifice or lay down or move away from. And they would tell you over and over, yes, it was hard. Yes, I cried all the way through it. Yes, it took every bit of energy and then whatever God had to give to me to get through it. But it is so, so worth it. God is saying, why won't you just do it my way? Things will go so much smoother. The best of what God has for you is on the other side of that tension. And the place where we are refusing to relinquish control is the place where he wants to bless. He is waiting to totally shift your access. He wants your world to be shifted. I want you to stand with me. There is no possible way that I could touch on or give an example for every possible scenario for every person who's in here. But the Holy Spirit can search your heart in this moment. That's what's so cool about God's presence. And there are some of us who are dealing with anger or fear or feeling like life has been unfair. We're frustrated. Maybe some of us have estranged kids and we're wondering what God is going to do about it. You cannot change the circumstance today, but God can change your perspective. 